This is the podcast for Signs of the Second Coming of Christ. In each episode, we attempt to answer common questions concerning the Second Coming and the Signs of the Times. We are your hosts, Landon Alley and Sean Bailey. Sean is the author of the book series, Chronological Signs of the Second Coming of Christ. Our goal with this podcast is to discuss the Second Coming in a way that's accessible, conversational, and faithful to Scripture. There's another piece to this. Um, it's a piece that we, we as a people, because we have the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants and the Pearl of Great Price, we as a people understand more than any other people on the earth. And that is the doctrine of the first resurrection. The first resurrection, it's something that we know is coming. It's something that we know is a precursor to the appearance of Christ. And we also know that it's going to take some time because we've got, we, we believe that the resurrection is an actual ordinance that has some sort of wording, some sort of process, some sort of, of uh, rite or ritual that is necessary for the resurrection to be performed as an ordinance. And I think it's fair to say that, that there are priesthood keys associated with that. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, let me read you a quote from President Kimball. And, and while you're looking for that, I'm going to ask you, a, hopefully, a primary question. Um, sure. What ordinance of the gospel guarantees that if you live your life according to God's commandments, that you will be promised to come forth in the first resurrection? Well, it's hinted at in baptism itself, symbolically, but the specific wording comes from um, your, your marriage in the temple the marriage ordinances that happen in the temple, the ceilings, right? It, it is mentioned there, yes. Um, but I, I, would, I would go along with the first one as well, that by being baptized and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost and enduring to the end qualifies you for uh, being a part of the first resurrection. Absolutely, 100%. In fact, in the section where Joseph Smith talks about baptisms for the dead, in section 128, he talks about that. He says, baptism was designed to reflect the ordinance of resurrection, and they're an ordinance pair. And that's an interesting discussion, too, for another day. But there are ordinance pairs, and baptism and resurrection are two ordinances that belong together. They mirror each other. You are buried in the water, and then you come forth out of the water as a new person with a new life. And just like resurrection, you're buried in the ground, and you come up out of the ground as a new person with a new life. They mirror each other, and they're designed to mirror each other. It's one of the beautiful things about the gospel. There's this beautiful symmetry. Yeah, there is. And if you think about it from the standpoint of of resurrection and how baptism is symbolic of that, um, someone else is the individual doing the baptizing, right? They're the one that's... Right, in the case of baptisms for the dead? Well, even even just with baptism itself, I mean, the person being baptized, they're put under the water by the person doing the baptizing. The person that holds the priesthood, the person that's allowed to turn the key, if you will, of the ordinance of baptism, and that person that's... Open the gate of baptism, right? Open that that gate. And that person, that priesthood holder buries the baptizer in the water fully, completely, and then uses his own power to bring him back out. 
Um, right. And and so I think there's a lot of symbolism there when it comes to resurrection that literally it's going to be somebody who holds priesthood keys and has been authorized to turn that key to literally reach down, grab you, and pick you back up. I think that's right. really what we're seeing there. Out of the grave. Out of the grave. Yep. Or and, out of wherever you are, if, an <laughs> urn, the sea, like what, wherever you yeah. might be. It's, it's, it's a lot easier to think about when the person's in the ground, right? It gets a little bit more nebulous, right. correct, when that, that person's in the sea or their ashes have been spread across the whole entire, you, you know, continent. Um, or their ashes have been turned into a diamond. <laughs> So well, it'll be interesting to see how all of that happens. But I think the symbolism of baptism is is there. Uh, there's a lot of love in that ordinance, right? I can only, just like when you see people get baptized, they give each other this big hug. I see the same thing happening with resurrection. That person that performs the ordinance of resurrection will, you know, there's going to be an embrace. You know, thank you for coming to get me. Now let's see what happens next. <laughs> Yeah, um, that's that is a really great question. What happens next, uh, and who exactly is going to be doing this? Um, there's a quote from um, President Kimball, President Spencer W. Kimball, in April General Conference in 1977. Okay, during his talk, he quoted Brigham Young, and this is what he said. He said. It is supposed by this people that we have all the ordinances in our possession for life and salvation and exaltation, and that we are administering in those ordinances. This is not the case. Catch that? This is not the case. We are in possession of all the ordinances that can be administered in the flesh, but there are other ordinances and administrations that must be administered beyond this world. I know you would like to ask what they are. Classic Brigham Young. I will mention one. We have not, neither can we receive here, the ordinance and the keys of resurrection. The keys will be given to those who have passed off this stage of action and have received their bodies again. Okay, so let's, let's unpack that a bit. You cannot resurrect someone until you yourself are resurrected. Just like you were saying, Jared, you are are physically pulling them out of the grave, pulling them from wherever they are. You are using your physical resurrected body to perform this ordinance to resurrect someone else. And then Brigham Young continues. He says, they will be ordained by those who hold the keys of the resurrection to go forth and resurrect the saints, just as we receive the ordinance of baptism and then receive the keys of authority to baptize others for the remission of their sins. Notice how Brigham Young is tying these two ordinances together again. Then he says, this is one of the ordinances that we cannot receive here in this world, and there are many more. (laughs) So who is in charge of the resurrection? Ultimately, who's in charge? Well, ultimately, you know, Christ is the one in charge. Right, because he was the first one to be resurrected. In this case, though, I, I think where you're going with this, and I'm, I'm going to try to see if I can paint this picture correctly, wouldn't it be fitting that the man that brought death into the world 
is the one that gets to right that wrong on his own. He's the one that gets to kind of direct that effort. Would that make sense? I think it would be amazing. And I think you can back it up scripturally, right? Because we know that Michael, the archangel, during this the seventh seal is going to blow a horn, which is the seventh or the seventh trumpet, and that trumpet is going to initiate the resurrection and start bringing that that ordinance to pass. Would you like me to back it up scripturally? Well, I know you can. <laughs> and I know I can. I, I, I know you could. Um, in fact, I'll, I'll, uh, let me set the stage here with a quote from Joseph Smith first, and then we'll talk about the scripture in the Doctrine and Covenants. One of the things that, uh, that Joseph Smith said is that Adam is not, he's not just in charge of the resurrection. He's in charge of all the ordinances of the gospel. He said, God set the ordinances to be the same forever and ever and set Adam to watch over them, to reveal them from heaven to man or to send angels to reveal them. These angels are under the direction of Michael or Adam, who acts under the direction of the Lord. So Adam is, he is the one who is set aside, set apart and ordained to watch over the ordinances of the gospel and make sure that not only are they revealed through proper authority and with proper keys, but also that they're done properly by those who claim to act in the name of the Lord. And like I said earlier, like, how beautiful is that? I mean... Oh, um, it's perfect. It's perfect. Knowing that because of the fall, knowing that you've been redeemed from the fall through the atonement of Jesus Christ, you are also given the opportunity to make sure that all of your posterity... Every single one of them gets an opportunity to receive ordinances for themselves. And you're there to make sure that that ordinance is done right, that it's done with the proper authority, and that it's being properly recorded on earth and in heaven. Like, I can't imagine just a, a more beautiful way of being able to, I guess in essence, be redeemed of something that you had done that caused irreparable harm <laughs> on all your posterity, right? They're all going to die physically, and there's a chance they could die spiritually. And you're over the work to make sure that... Almost irreparable. Almost If it wasn't for the Savior. Right? Correct. Correct. The Savior reparables. The word in the scriptures is redeems. He redeems us all from the fall of Adam. So we do have the Savior to overcome all the effects of the fall. But yeah, isn't it awesome that Michael, the prince, the archangel, the first man, and I would also submit that Eve is right there by his side. Oh, yeah. Adam and Eve, they're the ones who will begin the process of resurrection for the entire their entire posterity, all mankind. I love it. It's so, it's so beautiful. In section 29 of the Doctrine and Covenants, verse 26, it says, Behold, verily I say unto you, before the earth shall pass away, Michael, mine archangel, shall, shall sound his trump, and then shall all the dead awake. For their graves shall be opened, and they shall come forth, yea, even all. So you could say, well, Michael might be in charge of a few. No, Michael is in charge of all the dead, making sure that all the dead awake and come forth from their graves and are resurrected. It's beautiful. Let me, let me ask you this question. When did the first resurrection begin? 
the first resurrection began after Christ was resurrected. We we know from the Book of Mormon, Third Nephi, that after Christ rose from the dead, there were people, there were saints that were resurrected during that time, and they ministered unto the people. The funny part of this story is that the writers forgot to put that in their journal. So Nephi. When, <laughs> when Christ said, bring me your record, Come I want to read them real quick. And he says, Poor Nephi, right? Yeah, he's like, you're missing something. And they're like, what? What are we missing? Well, you're missing the fact that there was a resurrection and that people ministered to you. He's like, oh, yeah. I, I don't know why don't we forgot Don't you remember it. that prophecy from Sammy? <laughs> don't you remember that? Can we write that down? Okay, we wrote it down. Okay, thank you. We fixed it now. All right, perfect. Let's move on. Um, yeah, just so the, the, the first resurrection really started then. And we don't know... How many people were resurrected at that time? I, I, I mean, I know yeah, that Adam know. has already been resurrected, and so how, he. Was, how do you know that? Walk the, me through the logic. Walk you through the logic. Yeah, how do we know that Adam was resurrected? Because Joseph said he was. Um, well, sure. That's yeah. my logic. <laughs> um, but how else do we know? Based on this scripture that we just read. Well, be, because in order for resurrection to happen. And what you, what you talked about from President Kimball, in order for you to be resurrected, you have to be resurrected by someone who's already been resurrected. So if Michael is the one in charge of the resurrection, therefore of he has all. to be, of all, he has to be resurrected. And of all... And he has to be resurrected first, right? Correct. So my, my, guess, what, my guess is Christ was resurrected, and then he went and found Adam and Eve and resurrected them and said, all right... Let's get this ball rolling. Let's start resurrecting a few people. Now, we don't have a, a good record as to how many people were resurrected from the time of Adam up to the time of Christ. We know of a handful of people that have been resurrected since then. For example, the angel Moroni is a resurrected yep. being. That's right. I know that I've heard mention that the reason why he was resurrected is because he had a work to do in regards to the restoration of the gospel and bringing forth the Book of Mormon, and that would have been a little um, bit of I, w I wanted to know where in the scriptures it says that, that Moroni was resurrected. It doesn't actually say, um, but there is a part in church history where Joseph Smith says that the angel Moroni was dead and had risen therefrom. Like just that little snippet. We, we, we have a tradition in the church. We, we know that Moroni was resurrected. Everybody knows that. But I wanted to know where the source was for that. And I found that little snippet, which I thought was awesome. Well, you know, thank you for pointing that out. But, but yeah, he, he was resurrected so he could kind of, you know, begin the work of the restoration of the gospel. Um, it would have been really hard to kind of pick those plates up that you put in the ground if you didn't have a body to pick them up with. Um, Amen. And so, yeah. so we know that he was resurrected. And there have probably been others along the way. So we, we don't have a, a clear record as to who has been resurrected, and not that it really matters. It, it really doesn't. But at Because this, because the, the first resurrection is ongoing. It is. It's, it's it, not over yet. It's not yeah. over. However, I will say this. I believe that when Michael does sound the trumpet on the seventh time, I think we're going to see more of a mass resurrection as opposed, to, as opposed to a piecemeal resurrection that's been kind of happening periodically as time has gone on. So 
we're going right, to kind see, of as needed, right? Yeah. So we're, we're going to see a, a lot more people resurrected at this time. And I, I think that that moment when Michael sounds his trumpet could be considered to be the morning of the first resurrection. It um, absolutely is. Yeah. And so, well, the, the morning, the morning of the first resurrection also began with Christ. It did. And that morning's quote unquote, right? The morning still continues um, until we get to the afternoon, yeah. which is what Bruce R. McConkie calls the next part, right? Right, right. And the resurrections will continue through the millennium, right. and then it will be finished after the millennium because there's the second resurrection. Those who were not worthy to participate in the first resurrection then come forth in the second resurrection. And I will point out, I do love how Alma talks about this, where he's talking with his son, Corianton, and he's like, it doesn't really matter if there's a first or a second. Bleh. It just matters if there is I'm a 40. resurrection. <laughs> yep. You're going to get resurrected. Just, just know that God knows. That's yeah, all you need to know. Don't, don't rest the scriptures and worry too much about first, second, third, and fourth resurrections. Just, just know that all men are going to get resurrected. And they're all going to stand before the bar of God and be judged. The funny thing is, Joseph Smith did care. He he did uh, <laughs> he did ask that question, and the Lord revealed section seventy six like a, a huge theophany of of revelation and truth about the the matter. So I think it's kind of funny if Alma had just kept praying. Who knows, right? Yeah, who knows? And, and he was probably just content with what he knew, right? I'm going to get resurrected. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I know sure. after that, if I live my life right, I'll live in the in the presence of God, and that's all he really cared about. Now, he may have known more and yeah. just didn't really share it with us, but at least from the context of talking with his son, that's kind of what we get. But in talking about the first resurrection, especially the, the morning of the first resurrection pertaining to the seventh seal, a lot of people are, are waiting for that day. They want to be able to see their loved ones again that, that have passed away. Some of those loved ones have passed away prematurely, and and they want to be able to see them. They want to be able to talk with them. Now, the, the big question in my mind is, well, how long are they actually going to stick around? That That's always been kind of a, a nebulous thing for me, because it it seems, at least from the context of the scriptures, these people that are resurrected, that might stick around for a short period of time, but they're moving on to the next phase of the plan of salvation. There's going to be other things for them to do, other things for them to learn and understand. So there'll be a period of time that I think they will be with us and that they will minister unto us, but then they will have to, to move on and they will just say, I'll, I'll pick you up on the backside. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a couple of thoughts on that. First, let me, let me ask you this question. Who was the very first person that Christ appeared to after he was resurrected? Mary. And did he appear to Mary as he was raising um, his body up from the bed in the tomb? At least from the context, you get this sense that Christ had not yet ascended into heaven. So he had just been resurrected. Where did he go? What was he doing in between the time of his resurrection and the time that he appeared to Mary? Well, that's when you, that's when you go into DNC section 138 to find the answer to that question. After, after his resurrection. So he had already been in, uh, the, in the spirit world. The moment he was resurrected until the time that he saw Mary, there was, what, a few hours? What was he doing? We don't know. 
I think, I think we do. It's not actually said, but I think from our conversation and from the scriptures that we've read, I think we can infer that he was going to resurrect Adam and Eve. That was his, the first thing that he had to do. As soon as he was resurrected, he did not think, okay, now I got to go to my glory. I'm out. See ya. You know, peace out, peoples. No, he said, I have to finish the work. It's not finished until I have begun the process of resurrection. He had to go and resurrect Michael, the prince and the princess. He had to resurrect Adam and Eve so that they, in turn, could resurrect all of the other children of God. And notice, it's, it's interesting to me, too. Who did the apostles find when they got to the tomb? Uh, the apostles found two angels. Um, two angels. And what did the angels, what did they say that the angels had done? Uh, they said, Christ is not here, for he is risen. Right, but what did they say the angels had done? Uh, the angels had moved the stone away. They had moved the stone. How would they do that unless they had bodies? Um, so this is Sean Bailey doctrine. This is Sean <laughs> Bailey doctrine. So I believe that the two angels were Adam and Eve. And I believe that they were called to testify of the resurrection of Christ because they were the very first ones to be resurrected. And they moved the stone and told the apostles that he is not here, for he has risen. I'd never considered the idea that here we are, we're dealing with two angels. Um, and in case you're wondering, the Bible doesn't specifically say two angels. You find that in the JST, I believe. Um, good. That's good. Excellent. But, uh, but yeah, if these two angels had to move a rock out of the way so people could see that Christ was risen, that would require them to have a body. And and we don't really think about, like, okay, if Christ was the first fruit of resurrection, if he was the first person to be resurrected, then where did these other two people come from, and who were they? Right. Yeah. So that, right. that's... I, I, I like that insight. I, I'm, I'm willing to... I can go along with that, and it would make a lot of sense, right? That uh, you go and you get Adam and Eve, and then they become the first witnesses of of the resurrection and kick off that process of, of resurrection. Okay, next question. You ready? Yeah. You have millions, hundreds of millions, billions maybe, of righteous people sitting in the line ready to be resurrected. They're all in the spirit world, ready to be resurrected. Almost like a giant um, mad rush to open Disneyland, right? <laughs> Everyone is ready to be resurrected. Which I got stuck in, by the way, back in December. You did? Um, it <laughs> you, took got, a... you got stuck in the mad rush? Oh, yeah. We got, we got stuck trying to get into Disney's Hollywood. I, we, it was just this huge line. Oh. I think it took us about 30 to 35 minutes to get through. And for no good reason. <laughs> it was just slow. So yeah, you can kind of see this mad dash of these of these people wanting to be resurrected. <laughs> um, so you have this mad dash of people ready to be resurrected. 
is the Lord going to allow chaos to reign when he when it's the like literally the most important moment in the the plan of salvation when all of his work comes to a climax? I don't think so. What would happen if on that first day of resurrection all of the righteous were resurrected? And we'll just say at the same time, right? Just 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 to keep this idea simple. Christ gets resurrected, okay. and then like two seconds later, all the righteous are resurrected. And in that two-second window, nobody righteous has died. So what would happen if all of a sudden, four seconds later, a righteous person dies, goes to the spirit world, and finds it empty? What's he going to do? Right. What? Right. That poor guy's be like, uh, where? I thought there were supposed to be people here. There's going to be order in how the resurrection happens, and there's going to be order in the spirit world regarding to what's actually going on there. So, sure, I think you're, you know, much like here on earth, you have prophets whose responsibility it is to oversee the kingdom of God on earth for a period of time. My guess is you probably have something similar going on on the other side, and and once, once the previous prophet, if you will, is, is ready to be resurrected, it then transitions to the next guy, and that way there's still order in the kingdom of God. Because, yeah, it would just be, you know, God is not a God of confusion or chaos. He's a God of order, so he's going to make sure that the resurrection happens in a way that makes sense and doesn't bring everything to a screeching halt in the spirit world when Stephen dies and realizes that, oh, there's nobody here. Right. I read a book a few years ago from Robert Millet, and who I love. He's, he's uh, an amazing author. Um, he said that we often think of the first resurrection, like when Christ was resurrected, we often think every last person who was righteous was resurrected at that time. And he says that can't be the case because... The Lord, in section 138, we learn that the Lord set up his church. He set up his organization. He said he sent forth his servants in the role of ministers to minister to the dead who were, um, who needed the gospel and who were in darkness. And that organization wouldn't have, you know, three minutes after Christ was resurrected or however long, a couple days after Christ was resurrected, that organization wouldn't have immediately dissolved. So I could just I could were... just see the ribbon cutting ceremony in the spirit world. We are now going to bridge spirit paradise from spirit prison. I'm cutting the ribbon. The ribbon gets cut, and then everybody. Well, uh, it's like Boston Marathon, right? <laughs> well, just no, not not that. But what, what I mean is this idea that all of a sudden the spirit world was vacant, right? That. All of a sudden, there's this new bridge, and the ribbon ceremonies happened, and everyone applauds, and then everybody leaves, right? Exactly. It's just gone. Yeah, just you gone. You can come here, but we won't be here. We set up this whole great work of, this, of, of the work for the dead, and then we all just left. It doesn't make sense, um, Robert right? Millett says that's not—yeah, that can't be the case. Um, so there were many who stayed behind— Sort of. I mean, they're not left behind in in like the the eternal sense, um, but they stayed behind so that they could be ministers of that gospel organization to the dead. And look at it. Look at it this way as well. I mean, 
when you consider the apostasy and the amount of time between the apostasy and the restoration of the gospel, that would imply that there were a lot of people that were qualified for that first resurrection that had to stick around for a little bit of time to continue their ministry until other people could come in and take over that work. Um, That's right. So, you know, all of you nursery workers that have been there for the last three years, just remember, (laughs) someone was taking care of somebody in the spirit world for 2,000 years. That's right. So that was the the scene 2,000 years ago. But what about several decades from now, or whenever it is, don't, that's, not a, that's not a prediction, people. Um, what about um, years from now when the first resurrection begins at the, the sounding of Michael's Trump, and you have all of these millions, hundreds of millions, however many people there are, awaiting this resurrection? There's got to be order there too, right? And we have talked about this a little bit before, but I think it's worth repeating. Adam on Diamond, where Adam himself is presiding over this conference, Adam on Diamond is where we learn how the resurrection is going to take place. And this great work, this, this, um, this work of the Father, as Christ calls it in, in uh, chapter 21 of 3 Nephi, the work of the Father has to begin during the seventh seal, and it has to end by the time that Christ comes. Because what's going on is the righteous are being taken out of the earth to prepare the earth for wrath. The wrath of God will rain down upon the wicked. When we read the the parable of the wheat and the tares, the Joseph Smith translation changes it a little, and it says that the, the righteous are gathered first. They're gathered together in bundles and they're put into the barn and then the wicked are gathered. The wicked tares are gathered to be burned. So we have this gathering of the righteous that has to be begun and ended by the time wrath comes because that wrath isn't, that wrath is not designed for the righteous. Why would it be? Wrath is not for the righteous. Wrath is for those who ignore and rebel against God. The wrath is for the wicked. So the righteous have to be gathered out. That has to be done. So we have so much work to do when it comes to gathering out the righteous from the earth, both those who are resurrected and also those who are translated, those who have to be taken up into heaven, that, that uh, the Protestant quote-unquote rapture, right? The, the righteous have to be taken up into heaven in either translated form or in resurrection form so that they are not here for the wrath. And that work has to be completed by the time Christ comes. So, and, and it has to be completed by the time the wrath is foretold by Michael himself. Michael will announce both the resurrection and the wrath. That third woe is for the wicked, but the righteous will already be gone. The wrath will not be poured out on them. There's often questions about the tribulation and the tribulation period and blah, blah, blah. And there's different periods of tribulation. There's a tri- tribulation period during the time of the Jews and in the time of the apostles. Um, but there's also a, a tribulation period at the time when Christ comes again at the second coming. The tribulation period is now. The righteous are going through tribulations right now. 
And it's in preparation for the time when we are gathered out and we are taken in to the bosom of the Lord and gathered into his barn as his sacred wheat. Then there's going to be a period of burning where the wicked are gathered out to be burned. And in a lot of ways, they're going to gather themselves. They'll gather themselves together into tribes, into armies, into uh, gangs, um, into families and kindreds, right? They'll gather themselves together among themselves as wicked groups so that they are ready for the burning. And ready meaning they're fully ripe in their wickedness. So this resurrection has to be an orderly and quick process. And we're going to learn how that happens at Adam on Diamond when Michael explains to all of us exactly what our role is going to be. We're going to have people on earth that are mortal that are going to be doing a lot of work getting the names ready, doing temple work, and making sure that everyone who wants to be, everyone who can be, has their ordinances done. So that the day when the first resurrection comes, they're ready to go. Can you imagine? You're, you're a guy who, your name has been sitting on the shelf of the one of the Latter-day Saints for decades, and the guy just hasn't gotten around to go to the temple to do the, that name, or it's gotten lost somehow. And the first resurrection rolls around and you're like, whoa, whoa, uh, I accepted the gospel. What about me? All of that has to be reconciled. All of those things have to be done. And the angels will help and the saints will help and the Lord will help and Michael will help and everyone will help to make sure that every last person who wants to be and who is ready to be is ready for the resurrection when the morning of the first resurrection comes. So in, in talking about the resurrection, I mean, with with what we've talked about today, that would imply that the missionary work on the other side of the veil would still need to continue after the millennium, correct? Because sure, you would absolutely. have you would have people that still had not yet had the opportunity to receive the gospel for one reason or another, or a much better excuse would be their temple work hasn't been done yet. So there's still going to be work going on on the other side. And I don't know if whether or not that means that there'll still be righteous people in the spirit world doing that work as spirits, or if whether or not these will be resurrected beings that maybe have the ability to traverse between both the spiritual and the physical realm. I don't know. I'm not sure how all that's going to work out yet. But but yeah, I mean, we, we do know that, as you've mentioned, there's there's going to be order in the resurrection. And as you mentioned, we'll want to make sure that everyone that is ready for that first resurrection has all of their work completed so that when that day happens, everyone that can be resurrected will be resurrected. Let's, let's review for a second. Um, we talked earlier about how um, Michael will kick off the resurrection, but that those who are resurrected will be able to participate and resurrect others. And one of the things I think that we we kind of talk about in the church, but we don't really we don't really have definitive sources for it. But it's such a beautiful idea that it must be true. And I probably could find some sources that are more official than just, you know, saying, oh, that's gotta be. But we have this idea that fathers and mothers will resurrect their children and then Husbands will resurrect their wives, and together as parents, they'll resurrect their children. We have this beautiful idea that family will resurrect their family, right? Even Joseph Smith, 
I believe, mentioned that when he he said he wanted to be buried next to his dad. Um, yeah. Because he wanted to make sure that when he was going to be resurrected, he wanted to be as close as possible to his dad. He didn't want his dad trying to find him. He's like, I'm right here next to you. <laughs> yeah. And so, how cool would that be, so right? Yeah, to I, just be there at the time like for us for ourselves having your your father and your mother there when you're resurrected or you know for joseph to have his father and mother there and his siblings and his wife and his kids like just having having that reunion where you know we we're here we 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 made it this is the morning of the first resurrection what it's like christmas morning on steroids, right? Like a thousand times a thousand. What a beautiful morning that would be. What a beautiful morning that would be. And to know that in just a few minutes, we're going to have a conference of the, of the resurrected. We're going to receive our instructions from Adam and, uh, we're going to meet with the Lord and we're going to have a special conference with him. I mean, how cool would that be? Right? Yeah, that would be really cool. The beauty of the first resurrection is that the Lord is like completely prepared. He is absolutely completely prepared and he's been preparing since the beginning of of the world, since the beginning of time. Michael was taught these things from very early on that he would be the one to see and receive the resurrection first so that he could resurrect his posterity and that he would be in charge of bringing the life that the Savior provides back to those who were given death because of his transgression. And Michael, how overjoyed must he be to be the one to say, I know that I have brought mortality into this world, but I also know that the Lord has given me the opportunity to bring immortality into this world too. And I want all of my righteous posterity to participate in this beautiful ordinance just like we do with temple work, just like we do with baptism, just like we do with priesthood ordinate ordinations and the, the various different ordinances of the gospel, we get to participate too. That is the pattern of heaven. We don't just get saved by God. God saves us through service to each other. He allows us to participate in the salvation. He allows us to act in his name. And it will be the same way with the resurrection of the dead. We will act in his name to bring forth all men, all mankind from the dead. And, and would, we don't know how that's going to happen yet because we haven't been taught yet, but and, we will be taught. And I would say that, you know, what we've been talking about from a doctrinal standpoint is, is unique within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I don't believe other uh, Christian denominations would believe that individuals would be able to resurrect individuals or families be able to resurrect families. Um, they would say that that's done through, through Christ and that he would be the one to, to do that. Well, they don't believe that, re- that families exist right, in heaven. Right. Um, and so the, I think being able to clearly describe the resurrection as a, a family experience is is unique within our faith and it's it's a beautiful doctrine that I think a lot of times most of us don't really think about too often. 
I think we, we just kind of say we're going to be resurrected and it's going to happen one day and and I'm, I'll stand before God to be judged and see what happens after that, but we don't really consider the process of, of how that's going to happen and recognizing that it's done through priesthood keys and done by members of your own family that are righteous that's just a beautiful beautiful doctrine and it's it's um i know that uh those that do understand that do look forward to that day when they will be able to be that they they'll be able to go through that experience doesn't that also give you a sense of urgency we got a lot of work to do as many people are going to be resurrected as they can at that point and and whatever whatever we miss or or whatever we can't get done i mean would will will happen during the millennium but i i do agree with you i think anyone that is ready and and wanting to be a part of that first day i think there there will be time granted to make sure that those individuals that their that their work is done that they're they're ready to go i agree i think that um the Lord knows what he's doing, and he'll hasten his work in his time. Um, and with the help of Adam and the angels, I think that we're absolutely going to get it done, right? Um, and that's that's really what that period of time is for. The time from the time that Christ comes until the time that he appears to the entire world, that's what that period of time is for. It's to finish the work of the Lord. In fact, um, Joseph Smith in section 77 says that the seventh seal is the preparing and the finishing of his work. And that's exactly what we're going to be doing. We're going to be preparing everyone for the first resurrection. And we're going to be finishing up all of that temple work, all of that, that final salvation work, the saving work of the Lord before he comes. So that when he is reigning over all the earth and all the earth has been cleansed, that we will have a place for the righteous to be and all the righteous will be there. Now, there's an interesting section 13 of the Doctrine and Covenants. There's an interesting prophecy there. And we, we often look at it as uh, like an opening of the, of the dispensation of the fullness of times and the priesthood and a um, restoration of the priesthood, which it is. But there's also a prophecy in there. Do you remember what it says? It talks about the sons of Levi. Yeah. What does it say that will happen with the sons of Levi? First of all, it begins by talking about the Aaronic priesthood, right? The priesthood of Aaron. And what does it say about the priesthood of Aaron? It says, Upon you, my fellow servants, in the name of Messiah, I confer the priesthood of Aaron, which holds the keys of the ministering of angels, and of the gospel of repentance, and of baptism by immersion for the remission of sins. And this shall never be taken again from the earth until the sons of Levi do again offer an offering unto the Lord in righteousness. The priesthood of Aaron will never again be taken from the earth. Until. Ever. Right? No. Until. Until what? Until the sons of Levi do offer again an offering unto the Lord in righteousness. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We often talk about when we read this, we meet, we just skip over that whole entire word until, right? We skip over it entirely. And we say, no, the priesthood will never be taken again from the earth. But that's not what it says. What does it say? Until. In other words, it will be taken from the earth. 
after after a certain event takes place after a certain event takes place after the sons of levi offer again offerings on the lord in righteousness in other words after those offerings are again offered in the temple in jerusalem the priesthood of aaron will be taken from the earth how my guess would be it would just get folded into the melchizedek priesthood which it already is that's a good guess that's a good guess. I mean, the, um, but it, it it's technically like, it's still on the earth. Then it's not like well, the, these ordinances wouldn't be taken away. The only way the ordinances would be taken away is if there is no more time for ordinances and the work is done. That, that'd so be, then, how is the priesthood of Aaron taken from the earth? It would be once the work is done. I know you're like, I, I do that thing that my wife hates. Um, what am I thinking right what, now? What am I thinking she right hates that now? when. The resurrection happens. Who is going to be taken from the earth? Are you are you alluding to the prophecy that there will come a time when the righteous saints who are upon the earth that are still mortal are going to be caught up into heaven prior to the second coming of the Lord? So for that's exactly what I'm talking for about. a brief that's exactly what I'm talking period about. of time. Yes, during the wrath there. Those keys will not be on the earth because they will be up with the Lord doing whatever we're doing for that period of time. I have no idea what we'll be doing during that. Yeah, like watching, <laughs> uh, what having the greatest apocalyptic movie ever. Um, maybe I, I don't know if that it will exactly be the case, but or worst, maybe the worst movie ever. <laughs> Most uh, the best special effects ever. In second, the, the scripture that you're talking about is in First Thessalonians, and the Joseph Smith translation of that in chapter four, verse sixteen and seventeen. This is what it says: it "says For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel Michael, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So we're, this is the time period we're talking about the first resurrection. Then verse seventeen it says: Then they who are alive." shall be caught up together into the clouds with them who remain, meaning those who haven't been resurrected until that point, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So all of the righteous, the the righteous dead and the righteous who are alive, are going to be caught up together into the clouds for a brief period of time. Okay, this is not a, a permanent removal of the priesthood off the earth, but the all of the righteous will be gathered out during the time when the earth is cleansed from the wicked. And anyone who remains, who repents of their sins and decides to turn unto the Lord, they too will be caught up. Anyone who is among the Jews, who decides that they want to believe the prophets who have been ministering to them, they too will be caught up. And so we have this kind of like... We often talk about how the rapture is, is uh, it's not scriptural, but in a way, there is this kind of rapture kind of thing going on where as the righteous repent and as they have fully accepted the gospel and completely changed their hearts, they have to be taken out of the earth so that all who remain, all who are there on the, on the earth can receive the wrath that is, is um, foretold to come upon them. And so when it says that the priesthood will remain on the earth until the sons of Levi offer an offering in righteousness. It actually is giving us the timetable because as soon as the temple is dedicated in Jerusalem, 
they will begin to offer sacrifices unto the Lord, just as they did in, in ancient times. It'll be unique to that temple. And the sons of Levi will do it. It's foretold by Ezekiel, and it's also foretold, obviously, by John the Baptist to, to Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery. They will offer these sacrifices. And then we learn in the book of Daniel that those sacrifices will be will cease. They will be interrupted by the conspiracy between the apostates and the army of the devil. And those those sacrifices will cease for a time. Well, during that time, the resurrection, from the time that those sacrifices cease until the time that Christ appears in Jerusalem, we will have this, this morning of the first resurrection happening. And all of the righteous will be will be taken out of the earth. And the Jews who remain will see the Lord when he appears to them in Jerusalem. And then they, when they're ready, they will be taken out of the earth to prepare the earth for wrath. And for a brief time, the priesthood will be off of the earth because it will all be all of the people who hold the priesthood and all of those who have authority of the priesthood and all those who have accepted and, and followed the priesthood and those keys and ordinances and principles will be taken off of the earth and will be with the Lord. And I love the way that Paul says it. We will meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we be ever with the Lord. Also one of those beautiful doctrines that we, that we learn about in, during the second coming. And then after the earth is cleansed, we will all come down together. All of the hosts of heaven will come down together, and it will be amazing. And it will be very hot for the wicked because the earth, the entire earth will be um, cleansed by fire. As you read through that scripture and as you talked about how the righteous will be lifted up or essentially translated for a period of time, it made me think back to uh, the time of Enoch, how he prepared his people to meet the Lord and they became a righteous enough group that the Lord took them away. Um, right. After that event happened, after the city of Enoch was taken away, you had this period of time where uh, prophets like Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah, they were all preaching to the people, inviting them to repent. And probably Shem, Japheth, and Ham, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, those three. Can't forget about Ham um, and Shem. Um, but yes, and Japheth. Um, all three of them were, were doing missionary work. <laughs> <laughs> To say that they were never successful, I think, would, would, would not be an accurate statement. I think these missionaries found success. Um, and I can't remember where I've read this, but they've talked about how those that became righteous, that listened to these missionaries, were then instructed how to then join the city of Enoch. So when the Lord was, exactly. going, when the Lord was going to flood the earth... The only people that were going to be left was Noah and his family, right? That, that would mean that all the other righteous had to go somewhere else. And the only other place that they could go, that they could escape this wrath that was going to come, would be through translation to the city of Enoch, where they would be able to go there and dwell with the people of Enoch, and probably with the Lord from that time uh, forward. And so. We're, in essence, what we're talking about here is we're talking about a repeat of all of this, but in a different way. Yeah, in fact, that scripture 
is in Moses chapter 7, verse 27. It says, Enoch beheld angels descending out of heaven, bearing testimony of the Father and the Son. And here's what you were saying before. And the Holy Ghost fell on many, and they were caught up by the powers of heaven into Zion. Yeah. So they joined Zion after Zion had been taken up. Correct. And we're, we're talking about a similar thing here. We're talking about how there's going to be a period of time where those that are righteous are going to be taken up to see the Lord, much like the people of Enoch were taken up to see the Lord. And there'll be a period of time where people that are, are learning to, to become righteous will also be caught up to meet the Lord. When the Lord finally returns to the earth for the second time, for what we call the second coming, where the wicked will will be burned and the earth will be renewed and receive its paradisical glory, there will be no righteous on the earth. In order for the Lord to destroy something, the righteous have to be taken out of that. That's taught clearly in the book of Alma, when Alma and Amulek are missionaries, and they're wondering, you know, why hasn't the Lord destroyed this, these people yet? Well, it's because they were still righteous there. And it wasn't until they cast the righteous out and there was only wicked people left that the Lord was then justified to then destroy that city. The same thing happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham kind of bartered with the Lord saying, okay, I know you're going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, but if there's, you know, like five righteous people left, will you not destroy it? And the Lord's like, yeah, if there's five righteous people there, I won't destroy it. So what does he do? He sends angels down to get the righteous people out. Yeah, isn't it interesting that the angels basically saved like five people? Yeah. Lot, his his daughters, and his wife. And you could argue that his wife wasn't even all that righteous because she tried to go back. Yeah, she tried to she tried to turn back. But you 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 see the parallel there that the Lord's not going to destroy something entirely unless the righteous are taken away from it. He didn't destroy right. he didn't destroy the earth with water until all the righteous were taken away and Noah was sealed up in the ark and he was going to be protected from this deluge. In a similar fashion, the Lord's not going to destroy the earth with fire unless all the righteous are taken away and all that are left are the wicked. And so, yes, there is going to be a period of time. And how long that time is, we don't know. But there will be a period of time where the righteous will be with the Lord in heaven as the earth is then formally prepared, or as you said, that the, that the chaff is bundled and, and, get, and to get ready to be burned. Um, as, right, you know, the as tares. The, yeah, the tares, tares are burned. And the righteous are then gathered into the barn so that they won't, they won't be there when the chaff is burned. It'll be an interesting time. And part of me hopes that I'll be a part of the translated people. <laughs> I think that'd be kind of cool. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the, the resurrection is, is a pinnacle doctrine of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We know that every man, woman, and child will be resurrected, that that particular gift from the Savior is a free gift. And I know that we look forward to that day and anticipate that day. and. We'll have to see how close we are to that day as the years tick by. Let me finish by reading one last scripture from the Doctrine and Covenants. <clears throat> in section 29, one of my favorite chapters in the entire scriptures about the second coming. And 
you know, there, there are many, <laughs> but I particularly love this one because it's just, it's so early on in the ministry of the prophet Joseph Smith that he is receiving these things. He probably barely understood the full weight of what was being revealed to him in this section. But it says in verse 11, for I will reveal myself from heaven with power and great glory with all the hosts thereof and dwell in righteousness with men on earth a thousand years and the wicked shall not stand. And then in verse 13, it says for a trump shall sound both long and loud, even as upon Mount Sinai and all the earth shall quake and they shall come forth. Yea, even the dead, which died in me, to receive a crown of righteousness and to be clothed upon, even as I am, to be with me, that we may be one. It's not just a promise to come forth in the first resurrection. It's also a promise to receive a crown of righteousness, to receive all the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to receive the blessings of thrones, principalities, powers, dominions, exaltations, and to receive the blessing of eternal lives. We, we literally are receiving all of these blessings when the Lord comes again and he raises us from the dead through his servants and through that glorious, beautiful, organized process that he has begun with his beloved servant and his beloved partner, Adam, who has been a partner with him since the very beginning of creation. It's, it's like his right-hand man. And then, of course, Eve is going to help too. So we have just this, this beautiful doctrine of the resurrection where you receive life and exaltation and a crown of righteousness so that you can reign with Christ on the earth for a thousand years and throughout eternity. It's one of my favorite parts of the, of the scriptures. And one of my favorite things to study is the morning of the first resurrection. And I think that when we understand it, it's one of those things that can bring more hope and more joy to us than almost any other doctrine. Did you see the video of the uh, volcano that erupted near Tonga? In Tonga? Yeah. Yeah. And how they, caught, crazy. how they caught that on satellite. Did you know that the pressure wave of that eruption went around the whole world? Really? It did. Yeah. I, I saw one individual that indicated that the pressure wave could actually be recorded several times going around the world, but it at least went once. And so they showed air pressure sensors like in, in uh, Japan, and they even showed uh, pressure air pressure sensors across the United States, and you could see the wave go across the United States. Uh, it's been recorded that people heard that volcanic eruption as far away as Alaska. The reason I bring that up is when we were talking about earthquakes, and things that would be felt by, by, by the people. Um, I know that one of those earthquakes, and I'm not sure if it's the earthquake at the sounding of the seventh trump or if it's a latter earthquake, but there is an earthquake that will be felt by everybody. But seeing that event happen and seeing how that was felt by a large group of people on this planet just made me think about that event, that future event, when everybody will feel, feel an earthquake and potentially hear something as well. Did you know, my friend told me this a few weeks ago, did you know that one out of every two 
people in Tonga is a member of the church? Is it one out of two? I thought I didn't know it was that high. It's interesting too because um, if you think about natural disasters and who deserves them, quote unquote, we've talked about that before, where it has nothing to do with merit. It's just the earth in the last days. It's how it is. You don't send a volcano to Tonga because they're the wicked, or you don't send a hurricane to New York because they're wicked. It's just the the nature of the earth in the last days. But it's interesting too that the tribulation for the saints is now. In order to prepare us, just like the Jews, in order to prepare us for the coming of the Lord, the tribulation of the saints is now, and the tribulation for the wicked is coming. It's coming afterward. So we shouldn't be surprised if we go through things that are difficult for us, things that are almost more than we can bear, because the Lord is trying to prepare us right now before all of this other stuff comes so that we can be, just like Paul says, we can ever be with the Lord. And don't get discouraged if you have to go through something hard, because you will. That's the nature of the program. But remember the hope that the Lord has given us, that he will save us, and that we will be with him if we just keep our covenants and we remember him. There is going to be tribulation for the good people of Tonga, as just like there will be for all of the saints throughout the world and all good people throughout the world. But that time is coming when all of that tribulation for us will end and we will be caught up into the air and we will be ever with him. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you're interested in learning more about this topic, Sean has authored a book series called Chronological Signs of the Second Coming of Christ. Volume 1 is about the sixth seal, and Volume 2 is about the seventh seal. Go to seanswork.com signs to find show notes for this episode and links to purchase the books. This podcast is not an official production of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but we faithfully sustain and support the church, its leaders, its teachings, and the scriptures, including the Bible and the Book of Mormon.